we get today is the last day of 2023. So someone told me that it's 123123 today. I like that. 12-31-23. And on the ultimate day of the year, what we always do the last day or the first day of the new year is we take a step back and we take a piece of something that's really key and core hopefully to our lives here at this church and you know our core it's really simple as stated a high view of the bible we think the bible is the word of god uh, and the message of the bible which is jesus and who he is christology and how you're saved what does that mean soteriology one of the pieces that comes out of that cleanly and importantly is thinking about forgiveness so today, we're taking a step back, this critical interest to our body. It's, it's with joy. I want you to be refreshed today. Hey, it's been a long Christmas season. Many of us are tired. You kind of say, I would just like a breath. Well, yeah, this is the most refreshing drink you can have, bath you can take, experience you can experience, is to taste Again, forgiveness. Amazing. So, so this joy for us about how all of our sins in the past, in the present, in the future, swallowed up by the death of Christ. Yours and mine. This to me is the transformation that we get by the renewing of our mind, Romans says. Chapter 12. That we walk in forgiveness not achievement, not improvement of our old life brought by ourselves, but this changing perspective that changes how we act, changes how we think, and super important as we go into 2024, that you might be a person of forgiveness, primarily about how you think of who you are. So, so we have a couple pieces. I want to, the way to understand this and the way to get it is to actually go into what Jesus said, our Savior. And so to be refreshed is first, I want you to think with me about Stone's throne. Stone's throne. Because how it changes your life is to hear from Jesus. So this story, it's in John's Gospel, it's chapter 8. If you want to look at it yourself, it's, you'll see a little tag there because in some of the oldest manuscripts, it's not there. But it's very instructive and it's probably to be placed somewhere in the canon. I think it's a real story. So here it is. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Oh, you have Jesus in the place that was built to worship God and where God would dwell with them. And all the people came and he sat down and he taught them. Oh, I would love for that to be this Sunday morning. That we would all get up and go to the temple and Jesus is there and Jesus is teaching us and we're hearing from Jesus and I, I want to know what he's going to say and what he's going to say because he's the son of God and it's this beautiful setting. And then this happens. The scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman in who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? 
Striking, huh? I mean, my first question is, where's the guy, of course? Because if you go back to Leviticus 20 or Deuteronomy 22, where they have this, it's like they would stone the man and the woman. Instead, what they do is they drag out this woman. And they say, what do you say, Jesus? So they said this to test him, verse 6 says, that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. It's like he's ignoring them. So, so they, they, they keep pressing. They, they say they continued to ask him. He stood up and he said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. It's quite possible she wasn't fully clothed, shamed publicly, right? So, so Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Okay, end of scene. Close, the curtain comes down. And you're like, shocking story. Maybe you're familiar with it. If you are or if you aren't, here's my question. Where are you in the story? That's the thing you need to think about this morning with me. Where are you in this story? Right, Because for many of us, we default to being the religious folks, the scribes and the Pharisees. Right, Our whole perspective is a system where we stay in order and upright and keeping the law. That's the message and that's the relationship. You need to stop doing this bad stuff and do what's right. So we're functionally the judges. I'm good at this. I'm generally a moral person, so I get some value out of looking at other people and saying, you know what? You're not as moral as me. We stand against the immoral, the sexual deviants, the liars, the cheats, the unfaithful, the coveters, those who swear, those who do drugs, drag them up, put them to shame. Hey, Jesus, what does the law say? I already know. It says condemned. So we have this tension, you know, I, I either fix them or judge them and to stand up for God. I'll, I'll be the enforcer. Maybe I was the woman once, but now I focus on the end of that statement. Did you see that last little piece of that verse? From now on, go and sin no more. Well, how are you doing? So, that, and, and, and I'll tell you what, people don't push this hard enough if they're Christians. They, they, there's clear sin, it's clear scripture, there's clear punishment, death by stoning, let's go. Expose the sin and get them. So, so, so think through this with me. These guys came with the woman to Jesus. What happens to them in their story? 
So traditionally, right, Jesus is writing, traditionally the rabbis and the books that you read say what Jesus was writing was their personal sins in the, in the dirt there. We don't really know exactly what he wrote. But starting with the oldest, one by one, they go away. If you're without sin, go ahead, be first, Jesus says. So they get invited to stick around. They get invited to stick around and, you know, throw the stone if you want. But they could have dropped the stones and sat down with the gal. I'm right here with her. Instead, they kind of slink away. You know what they don't get to hear? Neither do I condemn you. From the Son of God. Only one who can really condemn, who has the authority and the moral power and the, the actual height to judge. And he says, I don't condemn you to this one person. He doesn't say it to any other people. They don't get the statement addressed to the woman at the end that Jesus doesn't condemn her. I sure sin is bad, but the key is that Jesus doesn't condemn her, right? The whole amazing point of this story, Jesus doesn't condemn her. Neither do I condemn you, says Jesus. What? Don't you know Leviticus 20? Don't you know Deuteronomy 22? Aren't you intimately acquainted with the law? This is the point for our lives this morning. Why I call in this refreshed. Because it radically changes our perspective. It renews your mind. It transforms your life. Once you see that you are the woman. In this story. Publicly exposed. Actual sin. She's guilty. There's no statement where they, they drummed up some false charge against someone and pulled him up to see if Jesus would like miss it and condemn someone who shouldn't be condemned. No, they pull her. She was caught in adultery. It's a statement of the Bible. She was caught. She was done. It had happened. She, in, in flagrante, I don't, I don't know how you say it. Someone will teach me afterwards. They drag her on out. And she receives that incredible statement from the one who can condemned. So I've been exposed. <laughs> this, is, this is repentance, right? This is what repentance is. The exposure of my sin, acknowledgement. I can't do it, God. I, I'm, I'm turning to Jesus. Jesus actually says to her, I don't condemn you. So her relationship of no condemnation is just based on Jesus saying that of receiving forgiveness. There's not even, there's a statement of go, don't sin anymore, but uh, she, she might have sinned the next day. This is the pathway, I think, to life, to refreshment, to joy. It's stop judging, right, and get in the boat. See your own sin. Everybody, everywhere condemned. And, and you want to be the woman because Jesus, God says he doesn't condemn her. John writes he doesn't condemn her. Jesus' testimony is he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't condemn you. No, oh, no, wait a minute. I'm not her, you might say. 
You know, the terrible sinner, the horrible things. I'm no adulterer. I'm no murderer. I've never been publicly shamed. Well, that's kind of the point of the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's like you get angry at someone. Really, it's the same thing. God says you're a murderer. You look with lust one time, you're an adulterer. It's just, you aren't exactly who you should be ever, and nobody's willing to know I'm exactly perfectly who I should be. you got something wrong with you if you think you're perfect. So we constantly and consistently overlook our own sin, you know. Minimize the ways we aren't who we should be. We condemn other people. Perhaps they've hurt us terribly. But kind of that becomes the functional air of Christianity. We're the sin police. That's what the world thinks of us, by the way. I would go into the high school and, and talk to kids who don't know Jesus. And, 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 and I would say that the people who don't know Jesus, if you ask what a Christian is, it's someone who's trying to keep the Ten Commandments. That's the sin police. But what if, what if we actually saw ourselves sitting there with Jesus? What if we sat down with her? The, the sin you know, we overlook is just horrible. Even, even the sins we don't even name. That's why I love the book of James. You ever really looked at the book of James? Everyone knows chapter 2. But chapter 2 starts out with don't be partial towards anyone. Show no partiality. You know, so the well-put-together, kind person that you have over at your home for Christmas Eve and the homeless person on the street that you, like, go and sit near, but you kind of hope and hold your breath. You do this. I've got people that I want to impress and people that I don't care so much about impressing. Now you're trying to figure out which one are you. I get it. We're all like this. James is like that. Chapter 3, James says, oh, you know, the tongue is a pit of fire. The Bible says, no man can tame the tongue. Well, I can. I've been working on that for 20 years. No, you don't escape. You don't tame your tongue. Your tongue is terrible today. And if I come back and, give, and talk next year about how your tongue is terrible, it'll still be terrible. And the time you die, it'll... Why? Because, because you occasionally give voice to things that are evil along with singing worship songs in church. James says that ought not be, but it is. And then he drops it. Would you just get struck with you're not who you should be? You don't do things exactly right. And further on in James, if you keep going, right, he goes into chapter 4 where basically it's pretty remarkable actually. He says all your problems come from what's inside you. Your problems don't come from out there. If you ever feel like a victim, they don't come from out there. They come from what's in you. Your conflicts your unsettlenesses. Or James 4.13, where people say, hey, let's go over here and go and make a profit, like just doing basic business planning and basic retirement planning. And James just takes a baseball bat and says, who are you? I'm just being a normal person, James. That's the problem, you see. Our idea of normal person is like we have acceptable little sins that we don't consider, and we got big sins that we do consider. And so we go, the big sins, you know, really get you off with God. The Catholics used to call this sort of mortal sins and venial sins. But you know what? It's all sin. It taints you. James 5 says, you've laid up treasure in the last days. And going, well, I mean... 
Have you seen my bank account? Well, yeah, but if I look at your bank account and then I go to Burkina Faso where they make 10 bucks a year, all of a sudden you're thinking about your retirement. What are you doing? See, I, a lot of you guys might even be saying that tax. Why are you going after this little stuff? I mean, it's not a big... Yeah, the whole idea is that you're not who you should be. You don't live a life trusting God in this amazing way. You, you don't live a life of, of purity from the heart that is beautiful. Well, and, and you don't because, because that's not what God has made you on this earth. Paul says he's the chief of sinners. Ah, he's just being extra humble. (laughs) No, he meant it. He cries out in Romans 7, who will save me from this body of sin and death. He's not just being melodramatic. He's sitting with the woman. You know, we, we, we put these little bandages on stuff, like, oh, pray a little harder and Maybe read your Bible, and we'd say that to Paul who wrote the Bible. It's even worse. When your eyes are open to the depth of your own sin, and you realize your sin crucified the Son of God. It's too late. My self-righteousness goes to the sky, and I've already thrown the stone. It's like you know, these guys come up, and Jesus says, well, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. But I already let it go. And a lot of my relationships, I've already let it go. I've already thrown the thing. Over and over. Of course, I hit Jesus. I do condemn other people. I have spit on them and justified myself. God's graciousness, His gracious law, what it accuses? It accuses me. And I ignore it and I act like I'm all that. The sinner is me. I won't even forgive. I need forgiveness for my lack of forgiveness. I mean, here's the Colossians passage from chapter 3. It says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, and he's forgiven you more than you can imagine, so you also must forgive pastoral confession i don't i stand condemned so go ahead take up the stones well if you're without sin too (laughs) otherwise i'm in trouble i go and sit with the woman because that's where we are right Because the pathway to refreshment isn't dodging the stones. It's seeing you are the one and sitting down and receiving Jesus. Not me proving to God that I'm prepared for his coming with my law keeping rather than those guys. Our eyes are open to what Jesus said. What did he say in in John 8? Neither do I condemn you. The one who could, the one who can, the one who I spit on, he forgives me. This is why I start to think of forgiveness like gifts given. I love Christmas for this, and we just came out of that. But maybe you didn't get, maybe you didn't get wrapped presents, but I'll tell you what, you get the best gifts ever, ever. And it's forgiveness. 
that's what it is. It's the air we breathe because it's what Jesus has declared. And Jesus over and over in his ministry, this is what he did, right? You say, hey, I want to know the message. What Jesus did over and over in his ministry, he declared to people forgiveness in, in, in all the synoptic gospels. But here's, here's one of them, I, I think. Yeah, he, this is the paralytic there in Luke 5. But it's also in Matthew and it's in Mark 2 where, where the, the paralytic gets, gets dropped from the roof. As soon as I said it, I probably mispronounced roof. Wolf, wolf, ah, whatever. He's up high, and then he comes down and gets lowered with ropes, right? And they're down there. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven you. That's the words out of it. He doesn't say walk. He says your sins are forgiven. And they're all like, yeah, whatever. He says, well, what is, what is it harder? Is it harder to say your sins are forgiven? To say rise and walk. But so that you'll believe this, get up and walk. And the guy walks. And we're all like, well, he didn't even have faith. Look at the faith of the other people. No, 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 no. The, the issue is Jesus says, I forgive your sin. Best gift ever for the guy. And he does it over and over, right? Prostitute cleaning his feet in Luke chapter 7. And, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Whoa! How can he just do that? All the wrong she's ever done. All the wrong that, that, that just permeates her. Her wrong attitudes of her heart. And God says to her, you're forgiven. Jesus says, I came to call, not the righteous, but sinners. He doesn't call them to be good, behaved ones. He calls them to forgiveness. His parables scream it out, don't they? You take Luke 15 and the prodigal son and, and, and you get the son who's like spits on his dad and wishes he was dead and runs off to a foreign land and is eating pig slops. Man, I guess I'll come be a servant if I really apologize to dad, if I really show him that you know I won't even be a son anymore and he comes back and the dad's looking every day and he pulls up his pants and he runs after his son and he doesn't let his son even say, I'm sorry. He's putting the robe on, he's putting the ring on, he's putting the shoes on, he's, oh, my kid, give him the big hug, stinky kid. What's the point? Forgiving father. Nothing the son does. That's God talking. Even, even, even in the church, it's like, oh, look at the wheat and the tares. One of the first parables just says, you, well, you grow the wheat and the wheat starts to grow. And oh, look, the enemy, they planted some bad things in there, some weeds in there. And says, so I got to go pluck them out. I got to get rid of those things. We got to be, let's pluck that one and let's pluck that one. Just, no, 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 no. He says, let them be. The word means forgive them. You don't know. You are such a bad wheat checker. You're going to pull up the wheat. You don't know what I'm doing. Over and over. You see this amazing idea of forgiveness. It is a gift. Forgiveness. Jesus does it by what he has done and he's done everything forever. And that's why Paul can say in Romans 8, 1, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because God in Christ declares there is none for you. Yeah, but you know you've got to clean up. No. He does the cleaning and the clothing and the honoring. We proclaim the forgiveness. 
the gift, you know, not a bait and switch. This is the air we breathe. This is what I've found. This is why I come worship. This is the deal, right? Over and over. So here's one in First John. First John says, this is why I'm writing the book. I'm writing to you, little children. Why? Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He's talking about Jesus' name, the one who forgives. In Acts 13, there at Antioch, Paul's talking the first time to these people. He says, hey, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's the gift. Forgiveness of sins on your lap. He goes on to say, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You're free. Colossians chapter 1, in whom we have redemption, this amazing passage kind of ends, in whom we have redemption, the what? The forgiveness of sins. See, redemption is closely linked, is tied to, is based forgiveness of sin. So when I'm breathing, and when I'm breathing what it means to be me in Christ, what it means to be us in Christ, is the forgiveness of sins. It's not the overcoming of sins. It's not the getting past sin. It's not accomplishing no more need for forgiveness. It's forgiveness. This is what we speak. This is what we image. This is what we are, right? This is very function of the church. The kind of the Greek words, one is called the kerygma. It means the preaching of the words. What we're doing this morning, we're taking the word of God. I'm trying to get it to your heart. It's called the kerygma. It's about forgiveness of sins. Then there's baptism. You go to baptism. Baptism is imaging that you die. You have forgiveness of sins. And then there's communion. Communion, you're imaging. I'm receiving the, the, the body and blood of Jesus, which is the blood for what? The forgiveness of sins. You're saying, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm about. This is what I am. This is what... And then, shockingly, we go and leave and become about never sinning anymore. Uh, not the message. Don't push it away. It's in the Nicene Creed, right? There's one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And in that baptism, we're clothed with, with, with a forgiveness woven for us by Jesus' death and resurrection. It's, it's habitual grace. And by what I mean by habitual grace is like a habit, like a nun's habit, because we wear it all our lives. As long as this irremovable vestment of forgiveness. You're clothed in white linen bought by Jesus. Jesus tells a parable, Matthew 18, that's what we just read for our reading today. He gives us incredible view of the gift that you personally have received. Right, because brought before this king, and the king represents God in heaven. Brought before this king is this man who was not without some resources, because he had managed to accumulate a debt that was like a hundred lifetimes worth of payment. And 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 you heard, right? He begged the king for a little more time that he might continue to work at paying it off. But if that doesn't sound like me. 
I'll just keep trying, you know. And so the king turns and he doesn't say, okay, I'll give you 10 more years, 50 more years, 100 more years. You keep working at it and maybe at the end you'll have made a little more money for me and I can recoup something on this incredible investment I've made in your life. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, fine, it's done. Out of pity. In fact, did I put the... Out of pity. This is the, this is the money verse. Out of pity for him. Mercy. The master of that servant released him. And forgave him the debt. Two words back to back that mean forgive. He let him go. You're done. Oh, you're free. Just think about it. Just think with me. The weight. The Bible says that debt makes someone a slave. And I don't know what kind of debts you have. But if you start thinking all the debts you owe. And all the people that you've let down and all the ways you haven't made right and begins to weigh on you and you know what i try so what i'll try and do is i'll try and go make restitution so that i feel better about myself that i've at least tried to show them that i'm a good person and that i do the right thing and, and no no this is not that this is us saying no whoa, 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 whoa. god says to you i release you you in the eyes of god clean forever that's the message of jesus it's the hugest most incredible gift you'll ever have all of your wrong all of your debt all that you owe all that you don't do rightly covered forever that's that's the amazement and the crazy sadness of this parable is the guy won't accept it Right? That's the parable we read. The guy goes over to someone else and instead of saying, hey, I'm out of the game, he says, what, I, I, I want a few pennies from you so that I can at least give the king something. I, let, me, let me squeeze you like a turnip to see if I can get some blood out of you. He's the Pharisee dragging the woman to, saying, well, the law says stone you. He wouldn't receive the gift. He went out and tried to continue to ring value and merit, and it didn't end well, and ended with him tortured and uncomfortable and judged. So that's not us. That's not us. We see the depth of the gift. We receive it, the free gift of mercy given to us of forgiveness. It includes him making us righteous, him setting us apart for himself. We call that holiness. Him, him simply having mercy on us at the mercy seat where the blood of Jesus covers us. This is our theology, right? But this is also what we breathe, this gift, this perspective change, the renewing of our mind, the transforming of the life, the freedom to extend this proclamation of forgiveness to all you see. To put down the stones even to receive grace if you've been throwing them. This, this is why I, I think it's usually a mistake for us to be about reforming people. In some moral sense, because it's too late. That pathway is closed. That's what the Bible's message is. 
And too often what we do is we kind of say, well, you know, you can be accepted by Jesus if you take a bath. Or you'll prove to me that you really have been accepted by Jesus if you take the bath. There is no repentance of the woman in the way that we want repentance to mean, which is getting rid of my sin. The question's only going to be, does she receive it? We've already received it, so this is the air we breathe. I breathe the air of God declaring my only hope is Jesus and me, the sinner, going, you know what? Look at my exposed life. It is so true. My only hope is Jesus. I've turned, repented from me to Jesus. Oh, his way is the only avenue I have. The depth of what's been done for you and me. No condemnation. We've been adopted. We are receiving by promise life. Jesus entirely for you and me. In spite of you and me. It, it changes everything. I want other people to hear this great news. I want to let people go. Not hold them up to some like beating in order to get to Jesus. We speak of Christ for us. Not us for Christ. Breathing is living in the wonder of our sin, no longer keeping us from God. And not that we don't sin. We do all the time. But we're forgiven. Forgiven. So confession is not the admission of a mistake, which, you know, thank God and our better nature, we are finally recognized and corrected. I mean, that's how we want to do it. I want to preserve me. I want to be the Pharisee. You know, rather it's the admission we're dead in our sins. We have no power of ourselves, either to save ourselves or to convince anyone else we're worth saving. Our whole life is finally and forever out of our hands. And if we ever live again, our life will be entirely the gift of some gracious other and we know who he is his name's jesus oh i've received it as you have you gotten this gift forgiveness is not a response to a suitably worthy confession get that it's not the acceptance of a reasonable apology man if the person would just apologize right i'd forgive him that's not your forgiveness To absolve means not only to loosen, to free, to acquit. It also means to dispose of, to complete, to finish. When God pardons, he he does not say he understands our weakness or makes allowances for our errors, but he disposes. He finishes with our whole dead life and he raises us new. He forgets our sin in the darkness of the tomb. In the crucifixion, God in Christ acts strictly on the joy set before him. That's Hebrews chapter 12. He's not looking for your remorse. He's not looking for your torn up life kind of pieced together with some of that purple glue stick held together kind of, you know. Halfway, he's, he's looking for your death that sin has caused 
because that's the power of Jesus' resurrection. It does everything else that needs to be done. He raises you to life. That's why there's no cutoff point for forgiveness. Jesus does that in Luke and in Matthew, right? He says, how many times do I have to forgive? Well, it, it, uh, as many as you can think of. See, I don't want to, and sometimes I can't, and because I'm not God, but, but I realize the air that I breathe is the air of unlimited forgiveness for me and for you. So maybe you're standing with stones today seeing and condemning sin in other people. They don't deserve forgiveness. They aren't begging for it. They aren't reforming. I want justice. I want improvement. Let me tell you, there's no refreshment in that. And as we think about refreshed and close, there's no refreshment in holding a stone and searching for where to throw. There's amazing refreshment in coming back to the gospel. To look in the mirror of the law of liberty, it will free you because it will show you your lack of accomplishment and the real hope that you have, which is Jesus. Oh, speaking to you, saying, I don't condemn you. Receive this word. I die for you. I give new life, Christ in you, the hope of glory, forgiveness in his death and resurrection. Just live there. Come and be the woman. She's not dragging other people. She's not maybe even able to, she's not, she's just receiving the gift of God because that's the only way that your heart gets softened, that you start getting excited, that you get astonished, that the air you breathe becomes, oh my goodness, I've been forgiven so much all the time. I just need to live there. Don't talk about me forgiving other people right now. Talk about me receiving the wondrous forgiveness of a savior. Speak it out in word, in baptism, in communion. I, I know it's hard for our flesh. You know, I want personal justice. I've suffered real harm. I don't want other people to have a relationship with Jesus unless they're worthy of it. You know how stupid that sounds? Oh my goodness. What's your relationship with Jesus based on? Well, I'm worth. Oh. Now nah, I'm the woman. <laughs> so are you. And when you come into the boat, when you join the people sitting and Jesus saying to them, I don't condemn you, when you're sitting with those people, now, now, now you're actually free to get to know them, to be curious, to ask questions. What's your story? Why did this and this and this? Hey, what else you got? Because isn't Jesus' forgiveness amazing? All of a sudden you become a community that's about the wonder of Christ's forgiveness for you. That becomes, and you may even sin less. It may even happen. But you know what? That's certainly not the focus. The focus is forgiveness. Because that's what we've tasted. That's the air that we breathe. We don't just say the words of forgiveness that have no meaning. Like, oh yeah, Jesus forgave me. But here's my stone. Where can I throw? Put the stone down. Join the people condemned. Hear from Jesus, oh my goodness, my blood covers you forever. Oh, that's where you want to live. And if you're having trouble forgiving someone else, then come back to the cross. You don't come back to forcing yourself to try and say the word. You come back to the wonder of I've been forgiven and you live there with me. 
All we have is what we receive as a gift. And that transformation of our minds is to trust him, out of which comes every hope and love and fruit that we'll ever have to breathe the incredible good news that everybody, including me, needs to hear. Jesus Christ forgives.